0: Hello, and welcome to the Growth Mindset Podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration and exploration. Join me, your host, Sam Harris, as I discover how mindset can help you do incredible things through my conversations with the world's most interesting people, from tech billionaires to leading scientists, best-selling authors to notorious hackers. The goal is to increase our collective wisdom and attitudes to make us all happier and healthier, wiser and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? Today on the podcast, I have Ryan Gottfriedson, PhD. Um, you may not have heard of this man, but I think you should have. And I think he's going to be a bit of a rising star in mindsets. And um, yeah, we have a really fascinating conversation about success mindsets and leadership. And um, he's been putting together a lot of research around four different mindsets that all um, are essential to become a good leader and to be successful. and they aren't all like completely linked so like the growth mindset maybe need to be a bit well you need to have more than just a growth mindset to become successful it turns out apparently and yeah it's just a really fascinating conversation that we go into it's um it's quite long and deep and really really useful and yeah i think you will enjoy it and without further ado let's get into talking to Ryan about success
1: So I'm a leadership professor at Cal State Fullerton, and I also call myself a mental success coach. So where I started with all of this was I've been doing research on leadership for the last decade or so. And one of the things that I found through all this research is that the majority of focus on leadership and largely personal improvement is around behaviors. How can we improve what we do? but what I've realized is I've worked with leaders is leadership is not about what you do. It's who you are that really makes you effective. And so as I dove into this understanding that leadership is about being a certain type of person, then I started to focus on, well, how do we capture that being? And over the last seven years, I've really been focusing on that element, which has led me right into mindsets is our mindsets, Are largely the mental lenses that fuel almost all of our processing on a day-to-day basis and if we can understand that and if we can improve the mindsets of leaders then we can improve how effective they are
0: okay cool and so you decided that would link straight into coaching and like writing books and things and that's the best way to change people
1: Well, what I've learned is through all the research that's been done on mindsets is one of the things that's really fascinating is rather small interventions can dramatically shape and improve people's mindsets. So there's dozens of studies that are out there that talk about a writing two paragraphs or watching a three minute video or going through a 15 minute training can have some pretty significant effects on how people think, learn and behave you know weeks and sometimes even months down the road and Mm -hmm. so what i primarily do in terms of the consulting and coaching that i do is i help leaders awaken to the mindsets that they have so i help them identify what are their current mindsets and what mindsets do they need to have in order to become better leaders and so through this awakening process that covers about half the ground that we need to is we need to just awaken first of all and then once we awaken then we can engage in activities that improve the specific mindsets that they need to work on
0: okay cool because so it's really like changing the psychology of how people approach everything that comes in them and like how they feel so what do you think about the studies on like how to change your mind using psychedelics or like because if what you describe is has a bit more like a butterfly effect, okay, you're planting a small seed of how someone can like cultivate and grow this mindset over time. But what about just blasting him with a hurricane and just give them a bunch of LSD and like <laughs> I'll come out the next day being pretty really different?
1: Well, I would say having never done LSD, I'm not sure uh, I know a whole lot about it. I've gotten into some of the research associated with psychedelics. And it seems like if those are taken under the appropriate context and with a coach that they can have dramatic effects on people's mindsets for sure. I'm not sure everybody's comfortable with that approach and I think that there's other ways to approach it. But I think at the core level, the principle is the same, is our mindsets are primarily founded upon, I think, our fears and also our, our big goals. And so if we can become more conscious of our fears and as well as our goals and understand those, that puts us in a position of becoming more successful and rising above any of the fears that we have. And I think psychedelics is surely a way to streamline that process from my understanding. I don't know. You seem to know yeah. <laughs> maybe know a little bit more than I do, and you can fill in some of the gaps. But that's been my impression thus far.
0: Yeah, I think there's. A good amount of work it needs to be done further on psychedelics in terms of actually like controlling what you're doing because you could blast them into the complete wrong thing and yeah you, know, you can have bad trips and good trips but if you know what you're doing when you take someone on those journeys i think perhaps you could have some really good effects
1: yeah that's everything i've read has suggested that yeah
0: yeah but it w- would be cool but it's just interesting the way you can completely change change your perception of everything so quickly but i guess what i like to know is how do you then coach people on a short uh, well in like a non-drug induced way to like really change what they're thinking and then what are some good examples of like small things you can do
1: yeah do you I, I want to answer the small things that you can do but do you care if i just give a little bit of context yes please yeah
0: <laughs> that should have been the first question so <laughs>
1: no you're good no but i think it's important to get there but it's important to know why we get there So what research has found is that largely 90% of our thinking, acting, feeling, and judging is done essentially on autopilot. It's done through our non-conscious automatic processes. And we all know that autopilot only seems to work if the instruments work appropriately. And here's the interesting thing. So I've got a mindset assessment, which I'll, I'll talk about here in a little bit. But I've had thousands of people take my mindset assessment and what I found is that 95% of people do not have the optimal instruments to drive their autopilot, which suggests that most of us are, while we're operating with our non-conscious automatic processes, that's actually not as effective as it should be. But if we can become aware of what our non-conscious automatic processes are and then improve them, then we could one become more conscious or two, we can improve our autopilot tendencies. And so I think that there's a lot of power in that. And here's the problem in my mind is, and I'll be interested in your, in your opinion on this, but when I go around and speak, it seems to me that most people have mindset, the word mindset in their vocabulary. Mm. But then if you were to ask them, what mindsets do you need to be or what mindsets do you need to have to be effective? Do you
0: feel like you would get any specific answers? Yeah. I mean, cause if I run the growth mindset podcast, I'm pretty sure everyone would just say growth mindset <laughs> straight away. Cause I'm right. like, they've just heard it five minutes ago. or kind of thing, if they're talking to me, yeah, so a little bit in a bad position to really have good like scientific data coming at me is in, if i didn't mention that at all then yeah i don't know what people would say they might just try and say like a good mindset <laughs> or <a> positive
1: mindset <laughs> yeah, right? yeah
0: yeah that kind of yeah. thing rather than specific qualities about it and like yeah some can-do attitude and like motivating and that kind of thing and like yeah that, that's those are two qualities you do need but there's a lot of other things that you also need to cultivate
1: unfortunately i think those are good answers but they're a little vague and so here's to me, the huge crux of the problem is that here what I'm suggesting is that our mindsets, which control our non-conscious automatic processes, essentially control everything that we do, including mm-hmm. our effectiveness and success, yet we don't have a language to talk about. Them. We don't know what mindset, even focus on. And In your case, where you focus on growth mindset a lot, maybe we know growth mindset, but what else beyond growth mindset? And so that's where I was at a few years ago as I found out all this research by Carol Dweck and others on growth and fixed mindsets. And I thought, well, what other mindsets are out there that I need to be aware of? And so as I started to dive into the literature, I found that there's pockets of mindset research being done, some in psychology, some in marketing, some in education, some in management. And they're all finding the same things, which is that our mindsets shape our thinking, learning and behavior but they were largely not talking to each other. And so what I've now done is I've pulled together these different pockets of mindsets into one framework that allows people to truly awaken to their mindsets. Because what I'm doing is I'm giving them a language and a vocabulary that allows them to objectify their mindsets. So what I've come up with is, There's four different sets of mindsets. Um, There's others that are out there, but there's four sets of mindsets that have been rigorously studied over the last 30 years. And all four of these sets of mindsets range on a continuum from negative to positive. And so if people can identify where they fall along this continuums, that helps them identify, okay, where am I at now? How is that affecting me? And also where do I need to go in order to improve my processing? And so that's where my mindset assessment kicks in, is that people could take in, I share a link or whatever in your show notes, that people could take this mindset assessment for free. And then they can identify what mindsets they have along each of these continuums. And so at some point in time, you know, whether it's now or later, we could walk through briefly
0: what each four of these sets of mindsets are. That was gonna be my next question. If like, <laughs> whoa, you've introduced it now, I want to hear about it.
1: Yeah, so the basic idea is, you know, we could structure interventions along each of these sets of mindsets and we could dive into that. But I think the first step in the process is this awakening, awakening to the current mindsets that we have. So the four sets of mindsets start, I usually start with fixed and growth, partly because that's quite familiar. It's also the most heavily researched of the four sets of mindsets. And the difference between fixed and growth is when we have a fixed mindset, we see ourselves and others as being unable to change our natural talents and abilities. But when we have a growth mindset, we see ourselves and others as being able to change our natural talents, intelligence, and abilities. And then that, just based upon this lens that we're wearing, that shapes how we interact with the world. So for example, if we come up on a challenge, And we have a fixed mindset, which means that we don't believe that we can change, then we're going to see that challenge as something that we might fail at. And we might be rather scared of that challenge because if we don't believe that we can change and we fail, then we're left to interpret that as though we are a failure.
0: Hmm.
1: So those with a fixed mindset have a tendency to see challenge and failure as things to avoid. But those with a growth mindset see challenge and failure as opportunities to learn and grow. And based upon just the natural lenses that we're wearing, shapes how we see the situation, which then correspondingly shapes how we think about it, how we learn, and how we behave. Mm. And so we can, this is, our mindsets are these things that cause people to see the same exact thing, but interpret them potentially completely differently. And that shapes how effectively they operate. So that's an example of the fixed and growth next one is uh, closed and open mindsets so when we have a closed mindset we are close to the ideas and suggestions of others when we have an open mindset we're open to the ideas and suggestions of others when we're willing to take them seriously i think one of the good ways to describe that is by the story that we tell ourselves about our mind so we could come into any situation if we consider our mind to be a bucket how full do we consider our bucket to be on that particular topic that is being discussed? Well, if we feel like our bucket is already full, like I already know everything, then what happens if drops get put in the bucket? Well, they just fall off the side. But if we go into the situation and, and we may have a lot in our bucket, but if we're able to see that our bucket, the bucket is really big, even though we have a lot in there, but it's really big that leaves room for taking in information. So one of the big differences between those with a closed mindset and those with an open mindset is those with a closed mindset, they primarily are focused on being seen as being right. Thus, Mm -hmm. they're seeking after information that supports their point of view. But those that have an open mindset, they're not focused on being seen as being right. They're focused on finding truth and thinking optimally. Thus, they want to ask questions and even disconfirming questions. And so again people could see the same thing, such as somebody disagreeing with you. And somebody with a closed mindset would see that as a threat and get defensive. Whereas somebody else would see that as again, as an opportunity to learn and grow and coming closer to a a better understanding of what what truth is.
0: Yeah, so if you can really try and because everyone has a bit of a natural reaction to want to be right whenever they say something, but if you can kind of harness that reaction sort of when it's like slight it's like annoyance, if you'd said change that to make it feel like it's excitement when someone's telling you you're doing something wrong, you're like, oh, cool, I could learn something new and then it's like, it's really yeah. good. But what I just thought about as you were saying that is closed versus opens and you're more likely to respond to people's um, inputs. So is there any studies relating to introverts versus extroverts on this? Because like extroverts want to talk about stuff, whereas introverts are like more like self-contained and happy with their own things. And it does like, it just sort of made me think perhaps there's a link as well. Has there been any studies on that?
1: Not directly and, not, and not, not that I'm aware of. And so in the academic literature, I've called it closed and open. In the academic literature, they call it implemental and deliberative mindsets. I call it closed and open because that's much more accessible than implemental and deliberative mindsets. Yeah. And so in terms of these implemental and deliberative mindsets, there I haven't seen any studies that look at personality and personality's role on these mindsets i have a tendency to think about mindsets as being different than personality in the sense that personality is a much more stable trait within us we're we're not very likely to go from being an introvert to being an extrovert throughout the course of our lives whereas our mindsets are a relatively stable trait where we are able to change our mindsets but then once we change them they're a little bit longer lasting than let's just say our attitudes or our moods, because those could change, you know, fairly rapidly. Our mindsets are generally something we carry with us for quite a while, but again, they are something that we can change. So I think, you know, but my hunch is based upon other research on related topics is it seems like you're probably onto something that extroverts probably have more of a tendency to being closed-minded than introverts but i'm not sure that effect would be really big because i also think that introverts can be very closed-minded
0: i think yeah yeah i, I can easily be an argument for either direction <laughs> and then yeah. whatever the science proved i'd be like yeah that's the best <laughs> but yeah no, this is quite interesting really yeah would be interested that maybe sort of your personality naturally tends you to sort of be across a certain set of mindsets. So, if you were like an INTJ on like your personality profile, you'd be naturally, or whatever, this different type of mindset collection, sort of by default. But then, as you get older and you learn from mistakes and things, you might recognize that your behaviors have helped, or you might read a book that actually will open your eyes to operate differently. You try and you're to change these things. So, yeah, it would be interesting to actually like know what kind of personalities. Yeah kind of affecting things. and the way like what other mindsets you have would affect the way you happen with other mindsets because of like the idea that the growth mindset is kind of you can get better at anything in some ways so if you do have a closed mindset you should recognize that if you have a growth mindset to then force yourself to then get an open mindset kind of thing and sort of if you could have like one to sort of just start like working on all the others kind of thing
1: yeah you bring up a really good point that I found was really interesting so I kind of assumed when I first created my personal mindset assessment that people could take, I kind of assumed that there would be a correlation across all of the positive mindsets in the sense of if you're high on one, you're going to be high on all the others. Mm. And that just isn't the case. And I think that that's the value of considering more mindsets than just fixed and growth. Yeah. As powerful as they are and as important as they are, what I'm finding is people could be very growth minded, but also be very closed minded.
0: Yeah. You could think that you are Oh, good. I'm really good at things. And I'm also really good at getting better at things because I have a growth mindset, but I'm not going to listen to anyone's opinion because if I'm so good at like getting good at things by myself and that's yeah, the closed mindset.
1: So by becoming aware of more than just our fixed and growth mindsets, then that allows us to, if we have a growth mindset and a closed mindset and we're not aware of the closed mindset component, we're ultimately putting a cap on our success.
0: Mm. Yes. It's like, I guess on the martin seligman as in um good i mean i've done a whole podcast on martin seligman and his uh theories and now i can't even think of the word i'm trying to yeah learned optimism and learned pessimism when you sort of have got yourself into kind of you don't know what you don't know kind of thing and you have yourself in these ruts and when you are just sort of thinking you're like full-on growth mindset but you're just in the rut of being closed mindset to other things you just wouldn't even conceive as that as a problem
1: yeah Let me share a quote with you that I love. And this comes from uh, Shane Parrish with Farnham Street. I don't know if you're not familiar with his blog and podcast. But he asked the question, are you open or closed? Then he says, before you smugly slap an open-minded sticker on your forehead, consider this. Closed-minded people would never consider that they could actually be closed-minded. In fact, their perceived open-mindedness is what's so dangerous. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I really relate to this. I think, man, 10 years ago, if you would have asked me if I had an open or closed mindset, I would have been completely open. I don't see how I could have even more of an open mindset than what I have. But I look back 10 years ago and I think, oh my goodness, I was so closed-minded. I was so rigid in my thinking. You know, I thought I knew it all. Mm. And so I think that this aspect of closed and open is relatively difficult for us to evaluate within ourselves, which is why I think like a personal assessment can be really valuable
0: yeah it's funny i had a business partner who um he gave me the the ray dalio book 12 uh principles and it's like oh it's the best book you can read this and he like he thought he embodied all these principles and he had like the most closed mindset thing ever and he just he was like really smart but like he had a ceiling on how smart he could be because he just wouldn't listen to anyone and like you're like oh bro <laughs> yeah and so but, yeah he thought he was sort of full-on 100 percent on every good quality that you could possibly have but he was so blind to how crappy he was at so many things.
1: Interesting. And I would say, and let me give you another plug for that Ray Dalio book, uh, Principles, is I think that that is the best book out there on this idea of closed and open mindsets. I mean, it just makes sense when he says it. And it seems, oh, this is so common sense to have an open mindset. But the problem is, is that, as I mentioned earlier, each of the negative mindsets are tied into fear. And if we don't awaken to the fear that's driving, if we have a closed mindset, our closed mindset, then we're going to have some problems. So some of the fears that are associated with a closed mindset is that we fear looking bad in front of others. We fear change. We fear uncertainty. We fear not being in control. So Mm -hmm. if those are things that we fear, then our natural response is to develop this closed mindset to protect us from experiencing the feelings that are associated with those types of things. And that's the great thing about Ray Dalio is he's essentially kind of broke down there. You shouldn't be afraid of not being in charge because that makes you empowering. You shouldn't be afraid of uncertainty because nothing is certain in the future. You get to create your future. And so that's, I think one of the cool things about this is it's, when you start talking to people about their mindsets at this level that we're talking about, it becomes maybe the deepest dive that they've ever done within themselves in terms of introspection Until people become aware of these labels. They haven't had the tools to be able to dive in as deeply as, as what they can in terms of their introspection. And so this, when I go out and speak and I present this to groups, usually when we start talking through these different mindsets, the group really clams up because they're going inward at a level that they've never done before. And it's really a cool experience kind of as a presenter to see this because you see them dive in, they clam up and then you bring them out and then you say, okay, now what do we do with this great information? And then that's when the magic happens.
0: Yeah. I was thinking as you're talking, isn't what I found really helpful is to sort of, Realize that it's not so much you personally sometimes being wrong, it's actually humans are just wrong, and that like it's just a human tendency to be completely bonkers the way you appreciate things. And then when you realize that, it's not so bad to look at yourself and be like, oh, cool, I'm completely wrong about so many things. Yeah. About like when Darwin came up with evolution, everyone was just looked at him like it's completely bonkers and no one wanted to believe it. Or like Einstein with theory of relativity, all of the top scientists were like, a freaking idiot like (laughs) wait anything and that's the example of a closed mindset and that's all the top people in the community and that's just humans because of they want to be right and if all the best humans on the planet at a given point in time would do that like it's probably the same thing going on right now in your boardroom or wherever it's yeah it's, it's not like something you need to take personally is oh it's just me being wrong it's like it's actually it's just like the human tendency to not really think about things logically and then you can sort of feel much nicer about going on and yeah, battling with these hard feelings that you're coming up against.
1: For sure. Yeah. These negative mindsets are ultimately fueled by this desire to self-protect. The positive mindsets are fueled by a desire to organization advance. There's a very big difference between operating in self-protection mode versus organization advance mode. And so just if, yeah, if we could be okay and comfortable knowing that, you know, nobody's perfect, But Mm. that opens the door for us to actually learn, grow, and improve.
0: Yeah. So but as a child, is it not something you kind of get by default in your personality of your approach to like risk and challenges? If you are more likely to enjoy having risk and being wrong about things and being outside of your comfort zone, then you're more likely to have an open mindset kind of thing.
1: So what you're doing is you're providing a great segue to our next set of mindsets because it deals (laughs) (laughs) with perfect. So our third of mindsets is the difference between prevention and promotion mindsets. So when we have a prevention mindset, our primary goal is to not lose. But when we have a promotion mindset, our primary goal is winning and gains. And so when, to help explain these, I'm going to use kind of the analogy that we're a ship captain. So if we're a ship captain and we're out at sea and we have a prevention mindset, and I know that you're just in the North Sea, so maybe you relate to this a little bit, but when we have a prevention mindset and we're in the middle of the sea, then our primary goal is on not sinking. So we don't care what happens, we don't care where we end up, we just don't wanna sink. And so thus, we're really attuned to avoiding problems. We don't wanna take any risks. We wanna maintain the status quo. In other words, we don't wanna rock the boat. Thus, we're ultimately focused on what is urgent, which is not sinking, and not necessarily what is important, which is actually getting to land. And so that's somebody with a prevention mindset. But somebody with a promotion mindset is not that they're unconcerned about sinking, but their primary focus is on getting to a specific destination. Thus, they're willing to anticipate problems. They're willing to take risks because they know that without risk comes no rewards. Thus, they're focused on what is important and not necessarily what is urgent. And the big difference between these two mindsets are those with a prevention mindset, they get blown about by the winds of the currents of the sea and they end up in a destination that they didn't choose. But yeah. those that have a promotion mindset, they're willing to brave the winds and the storms of the sea in order to get to a destination of their own proactive design. So let me give you, are you a, are you a soccer fan?
0: I mean, I like playing it. and <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's all right.
1: So let me just give you this is a really interesting study on these two mindsets. So at the end of a soccer game, right, if it's tied, then it goes to an extra 30 minutes. And if it's tied after those 30 minutes, then we enter a shootout, right? Yeah. I, I'm not the biggest soccer fan, so you could fill in any gaps for me. But they looked at these penalty shootouts and they had found situations where if the kicker were to miss, their team would lose the game. Yeah. So these are situations where they're by necessity in a prevention mindset, but then they also compared that to situations where if the kicker made the penalty shot, that they would win the game. So by necessity, putting them in a promotion mindset. And here's what's fascinating about it is that those that were in this prevention mindset, so if they missed, they would lose the game. They avoided facing the goalie. They took less time to prepare and they converted on 62% of their shots. But the people that had a promotion mindset where if they would make, they would win the game, they spent much more time facing the goalie, they took more time to prepare, and they converted on 92% of their shots. So a 30% difference in the conversion rate, just on our approach. So research on these two mindsets over and over again has compellingly found that you are going to be much more successful, engaged, satisfied in life if you have a promotion mindset. the the meta-analyses that have been done have found that there's only one primary benefit to having a prevention mindset. And it's not an unimportant benefit, but it's only one. And that is you have lower safety incident rates. Mm. And so, you know, one of the big questions, I, in fact, I was working, did a training with an organization this last week and they had their top 30 leaders in the organization take my mindset assessment. And then I looked at their mindsets collectively as a group And what we found is that the mindset set where they were the worst collectively as a group was on this prevention versus promotion mindset. So they were largely prevention mindsets Mm. and they're a customer facing company. So they're dealing with customers all the time. And essentially their focus is what we're finding is just to not have any problems with Mm. their customers. But that's a very different approach than trying to please their customers. Yeah. So because they're just we want to avoid problems at all costs, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing anything to please or enhance the trust that their customers have with them. It just means that they just don't want any problems to occur. And they're putting out fires all over the place because they're not doing the work in advance to build the relationship with the customer such that when something bad happens, then the customer's willing to forgive them. And so operating in this Prevention mind and mode is one of the things that we've revealed is really limiting them as a company. It's disengaging their employees and it's disengaging to their customers.
0: Yeah, I think, well, that's a whole very corporate problem as well. Isn't like once you get big, you have to sort of, well, they say that you have to kind of go more into like prevention style mindset of doing everything by the books and properly. And you can't kind of be like the tech, move fast and break things, which is maybe why they. Tech companies are like getting all the innovation and doing cool stuff these days because they are able to just go and amaze the customer rather than like Just not fucking up for the customer
1: yeah, and I think that that's where um, We talked about Ray Dalio's book principles that was so great with the open and closed mindsets Another great book on many of these mindsets is a book called creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull who is the president of I think he's just now retiring. He's been the president of Pixar Animation. And then when Disney bought out Pixar, he became the president of Disney Animation as well. And in his book, he essentially says, if you aren't taking risk, and if you aren't even, in some instances, trying to fail, then you're not going to be creative or innovative. And so the whole book is how do we create this culture in which creativity and innovation can thrive? And it's got to be one where you're consistently seeking after winning and gains as opposed to not losing in fact he goes so far to say that when disney had bought out pixar disney had been primarily operating in this prevention mode and they that it was his job to change it to become more promotion minded and so it's a really interesting case study to see the transition or the changes that he Made within Disney Animation, and right after Disney Animation got took over by Pixar, then you start to see these string of hits like Tangled and Frozen, and because they're they have changed the culture to bring out much more innovative and creative um, movies than what they had in the prior fifteen years.
0: Yeah, because I guess they you know, they'd been so successful like you can't try and do something new and different. But when the world's changing, if you keep on doing what was successful ten years ago, it's suddenly a problem and- Yeah. Yep. Really limiting. Cool. So should we move on to the final mindset then? Let's do it. So
1: the last one is the difference between an inward mindset and an outward mindset. So when we have an inward mindset, we see others as objects and we value them as such. We see them as being less important than ourselves and we see their feelings being less important than our feelings. But when we have an outward mindset, we see others as people and we value them as such. And so to me, the outward mindset is very much the servant leadership mentality is the people that I am leading. They're as important, if not even more important than who I am. Whereas the inward mindset is in my visual mind. I have Captain Hook, who he's the leader and he's got Smee behind him kind of rowing his boat. Smee is my object that gets my rowboat back to my main ship. You know, I'm not the... As Captain Hook, I'm not the one, I shouldn't be paddling because I'm too important to paddle. So I've got some objects to do that for me. And so that's kind of the difference between inward and outward mindsets, how we view people.
0: Yeah, it sounds like quite a funny one to kind of conceive. Are there some good studies around that?
1: So I would say the best material for the inward and outward mindsets comes from a small little niche consulting group called the Arbinger Institute. And so they've published several books on the topic. One is called Leadership and Self-Deception. Another one is Anatomy of Peace. A third one is called The Outward Mindsets. And it dives into these two mindsets and how it shapes really how people operate with each other. And you can think about family members, you know, as well as, as strangers. So one example, or, or some of the questions that we can ask ourselves is see whether or not we have an inward or an outward mindset in any given moment is, I mean, just recall maybe some instances where you let somebody into where you failed to let somebody into your lane, even though they had their blinker on. Or what about the time when you failed to do something kind for a family member when it would have been easy for you to do, such as doing the dishes? Or what about the time when you gave a manager or a subordinate a fabricated excuse? I mean, I just read a statistic last week. 82% of employees can't trust their manager to tell the truth. What? Like, it's unreal. (laughs) And it's because, you know, ultimately, the, the employees that feel that way they feel like they're treated more like a cog at work than a person. And when we're treated like cogs, it's because the people who are treating us that way, we feel like they have an inward mindset as opposed to an outward mindset. Let me give you another example that I think is a great example of this. There's a guy by the name of Benjamin Zander, who's the founder and conductor of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra. And he's got a great Ted talk. He's also got a fantastic book called the art of possibility, but, in both his TED talk, as well as his book, he talks about how for the first half of his career, he saw his musicians, not as people, but as instruments. He saw his job as the conductor was to get them to play the music the way that he thought it should be played. And he was having this inward mindset because he saw them as instruments. But then he had an epiphany and he says, while he may be the face of the CD, he doesn't play a note. And that led him to change his mindset from being inward to being outward. So rather than seeing his musicians as instruments, he saw them as people. And in doing so, he stopped trying to get them to play the music the way that he thought it should be played. He started to get them to play the music in the way that they were most capable of performing it. So in other words, he was now trying to bring out their very best. And that's just a completely different approach to working with people and we're gonna get so much more out of them if we're seeing them as people and as valuable partners as opposed to having an inward mindset where they're just an object there to do our bidding. And so I think that this is a really powerful, in fact, when I go into organizations and I study in all four of these sets of mindsets, the one set that the followers are most sensitive to is this difference between an inward or an outward mindset, the degree to which they feel like they're treated as a cog versus a, a person.
0: Wow, cool, Yes, yeah, so that's the kind of thing that comes up a lot in like management books and things. And But it is, I guess, quite hard when you are, you are like a bunch of employees and you sort of train to you know, do the hard thing, learn how to do it, and then employ someone that can do this thing for you that you've automated and come up with new things as the boss. Yeah, it's, it's interesting rather than empowering them to work out how to do the things they want to do, well, work out how to do things?
1: I mean, really, when you have this inward mindset, again, these negative mindsets are attached to fears that we have. So the fears that are attached to this inward mindset is we have a fear of losing out to somebody else or of not losing out on opportunities, not being promoted, for example. And so we we try to again we self-protect as opposed to organization advance. And so this we want to feel valued. And if we have insecurities about that, then we're we're likely to gain value by putting others down. And that's when we're in that space, we have that inward mindset.
0: Yeah, I was thought it might be that say you're someone's manager and you kind of you just see them as a cog and like incapable of doing better work and so you don't empower them because you just don't think they'd be able to do like the harder more like difficult things but it's also I guess you just explained relevant well related to the fact that you kind of almost don't want them to do good work so it could threaten you
1: yeah let me give you another I would say really powerful example in fact this example is one that I feel like has changed my life and this this basic idea comes uh, from Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong. But you could think about how do you see, and maybe for anybody who may listen to this, how do you see a homeless person when you pull up, you're driving along, you come up to a street corner, and there's a homeless person standing there? How do you see that person? Again, our mindsets uh, shape how we see the different situations, and we could see them in some more negative ways and some more positive ways. So, And I'm ashamed to admit this, but for much of my life, when I pull up on a street corner and see a homeless person, my immediate thought, my mindsets were tuned into thinking, what are they doing? Why are they just wasting their time standing here when they could like walk around and go try to find a job? And so that's what when my mind is cued into that. Well, I'm rather critical of that person standing there. I'm rather judgmental too, but What if we were to see that person standing there on the corner as though they were doing their very best, that we're truly seeing them as a person? Well, then if they're doing their very best, that leads me to ask the question, what on earth has happened that has led them to believe that this is the best way to live? Now I become much more empathetic and sympathetic to their situation, and I'm much more willing to help them. Again, our mindsets shape our thinking, our learning, and our behavior. And so one of the aspects of having this outward mindset is we see other people as doing their best. So in organizations, it's common for people to maybe be underperforming. What approach does a manager take to that? Do they take the approach of they're a terrible employee because they're underperforming, or do they take the approach that they're trying their best? So what is it about their environment that, isn't allowing them to succeed at their job? Is it something about me as a manager? Is it something about maybe they don't have adequate resources to function appropriately? Maybe they have team members that have demands upon their time that's not allowing them to get to their core work functions. Like as a manager, if we see our employees as doing the best that we can, we're going to manage and lead them much better than if we see them as as though they're not doing the best
0: that they can. You're going to have a much more then growth mindset attitude to, okay, how can I improve my skills as a manager and empower these people to do the right things? Exactly. um, Yeah, a good example I read was like, if you're sitting in the cinema and then like 10 minutes into the movie, some guy comes and like walks over you and you're like, what the hell? Who is this idiot? Why are they so rude? Why can't they just get to the cinema on time? Jesus Christ, they've ruined my movie experience. What an asshole. Yep. The next week you go to the cinema, but like, I know You get to have a call, and it's really important, and you like you've got to take it, and then like the taxi gets stuck in traffic, and you get to the cinema ten minutes late, and you're like, oh god, I'm such a nice person, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to like walk over you, sorry, nice person, <laughs> like yep. I'm not bad. Like obviously, all these things happened in my life, and like it, it was just a bad scenario, but like the other person, you can't think of the bad things that happened to them. You think, oh, it's just an asshole.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, beautiful example.
0: So yeah, so you can just definitely just. Have the assumption that whatever someone's doing something bad, there's probably a good reason for it instead of there's always a bad reason for it. Yeah. Is the lesson. Okay, cool. So that's the general concept of all these mindsets. So, what I kind of think, because they're all kind of a bit isolated in these different mindsets, and you've got a bit more of a unifying theory about them, which I really like and buy into. But what is, because of all of these mindsets, they have like scientific studies on like each individual mindset. What are the kind of, are there any meta-studies where people have done scientific analysis of something on the, as a whole group? Or is it more just tying things together and it's actually kind of theories at this point, which all sound sensible, but...
1: There has been very little work to connect these. Where I have seen at least comments on multiple of these mindsets in the same article is when we get into neuropsychology. And when neuropsychologists start to look at brain functioning and why it is we do what we do, and there's different theories that are out there to explain why it is we do what we do, in some of those papers, they'll reference how these mindsets, they don't always call them mindsets, but essentially that's the case. And they'll say, oh, well, Carol Dweck found this about fixed and growth mindsets. And Goldwitzer found this about the deliberative and implemental mindsets. And the regulatory focus theory, which is this prevention versus promotion. So the, they'll make brief reference to these different citations, which all suggest the same thing, which is much of our operating is controlled by our non-conscious processing. And here's some areas of study that have demonstrated that. So that's really the only place that I've, I've seen these come together. But I think it it speaks to the power of mindsets in the sense of, when they are being cited together it's all about the power that they have to shape whatever it is that we do and so that when when researchers cognitive psychologists are researching why why do we operate the way that we do they continually come back to these mindsets of which i think is really interesting
0: okay cool so if i was to give you unlimited resources as a researcher what sort of study would you put together to try and actually scientifically sort of prove something around this whole theory
1: oh good question so part of me says is i don't feel like we necessarily need more research to validate the importance of mindsets is all of all of these sets of mindsets have been studied for 30 plus years and all of the research is quite compelling of the power of mindsets it's just they haven't hit mainstream yet it, I think is the big problem. But if you're throwing around money, then you know what are, I want to try to use that money to make it more mainstream. So for example, one of the studies that I've been working on lately is we assess these mindsets within an organization and now we're connecting them to the quality and quantity of feedback that managers give to the psychological safety and level of inclusiveness within the workplace. So if we can connect these mindsets, I would say to kind of hot topics in the business community, then I think that's going to help things go more mainstream with this. And I think overall this is, as I mentioned, an awakening thing, it's a mindfulness thing. And I don't know about you, but my perception is that there's this huge wave that's building around mindfulness. And I think that this mindset aspect is a huge part of that wave because I consider mindfulness to be the combination of two things, presence and awareness. Mm. And we can't have awareness unless we understand these non-conscious automatic processing. And so here, what I feel like, I've got this framework that could really help people with that awareness component of mindfulness. And as that wave continues to build and then ultimately crashes, uh, hopefully this is a big part
0: of that. Cool. Yeah, I've got two points there. So the first one is that, have you read the book Good to Great? Yeah. Yeah, so I think so they do a really cool scientific study of like sort of 20 businesses that turned really great and consistently stayed it versus like 20 businesses that turned great for like five years and then stopped versus like 20 businesses that never went anywhere kind of thing. Yeah. They, they kind of broke down how leaderships were doing things. So it would be really cool if you could do a study like that On businesses that did crazy performance and I actually went deep into the mindsets of the companies to see what what, the business outcomes were like.
1: Yes, for sure. The only problem is, and I mean, this is one of the big critiques of good to great is, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, one of the companies that they emphasize as being great was Circuit City, which is no longer around anymore. You know, so it speaks to the importance of in my mm-hmm. mind, these these mindsets is that at one point in time, the positive mindsets were fueling their success, but because of policies, procedures, a, a willing a lack of agility, mm-hmm. these organizations develop more of a negative mindset. And are no longer around. And another good case study, I think, of this is Microsoft. So, right when the current CEO took over, Microsoft was kind of heading in a downward direction. But since the current CEO took over, he's been promoting a growth mindset within the organization and it's taken several years, but now Microsoft is very much climbing in terms of their success. And so I think ultimately, I think what you're getting at is, is a great idea is we've got to demonstrate how these mindsets affect organizational success. Uh, the challenge, though, then is measuring mindsets and how frequently we can measure them, because as we've seen with other organizations, or at least what I feel like we've seen with other organizations, is that one year they have, yeah, you know, the positive mindsets, and five years later they have the negative mindsets. And you know, it also is interesting to think about what causes the that change from positive to negative, and it's surely rooted in fear of some sorts they want to protect their current standing and so they quit being innovative and they start to rather advance they develop this prevention mindset where they just try not to lose anymore
0: yeah it's interesting because it would be really hard to kind of go back through sort of 15 years of performance of companies and then sort of test people (laughs) like their managers mindsets at each point it's not really that feasible but it would be interesting to kind of maybe study and sort of How does a company perform when it's kind of like shooting to win like you said with the penalty example versus when they're shooting to lose like shooting to not lose because so gives something you kind of look at as in just like as a bit of a slice of a survey um yeah. okay and then on to the, my other point that i said about you're talking about mindfulness and how that relates into um the mindsets which i think is hugely related like we first spoke about um possibly like a drug study that could come in like sort of completely rewire your brain kind of thing then I I did a 10-day Vipassana last year which it did kind of come in and sort of completely rewire the way you're thinking and you do realize all these stories you've been telling yourself that are really unhelpful and you you do actually think about okay what am I doing as a human being what what are my like default operations and why is like why do I always get angry at this stupid little thing when I could be really nice sort of like the cinema example or something and you actually sort of really get deep into your personal psychology and think, wait, why am I doing all these weird like default behaviors and actually get to work on them and hopefully improve them in the right direction. And you still can miss huge chunks of it because if you don't know what you don't know, And if you just don't think about like your closed versus open bit, you might never actually get onto that, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely having the mindfulness there. If you can practice it each day or do like one big thing, like a Vipassana, then I think that is a really good way to try and, get into the whole mindset sort of set of coaching yourself into it, which have you ever done any of that with your coaching? When you go into talk to people, do you ever sort of (laughs) do an hour of meditation at the end of it or something? That'd be so cool.
1: I haven't yet. Although I promote that basic idea is ultimately what we've got to do is we've got to create space both physically, but also mentally to be able to unpack this within our lives. And I think meditation strengthens our mindfulness muscle in order to do that. Let me give you a great example that I, another study that I just read recently that I thought was so fascinating was one of the things that cognitive psychologists have found is that all of our processing in terms of the motivation for why we do what we do occurs primarily in the prefrontal cortex. But which side of the prefrontal cortex we rely upon can differ person by person. And what scientists have found is that If we rely more on the left side of our prefrontal cortex, we're more cued into the positive. But if we rely more on the right side of our prefrontal cortex, which is different than left brain, right brain thinking, but if we're cued into the right brain of our prefrontal cortex, then we're more cued into the negative. And so knowing this, they took a group of people, assessed their processing at time one, they had half of the people engage in eight weeks of meditation training, and the other group did nothing. And then afterwards, they went back and they assessed their processing. And what they found is that those that went through the meditation, they operated more strongly with the left side of their brain than they had previously. And those that did nothing actually operated more strongly with the right side of their brain. And so literally, the study was showing meditation changes the wiring in our brain, which mm-hmm. is so completely powerful. But then the kind of icing on the cake is they injected them all with a flu vaccine after the study. And then they measured the number of antibodies their body had built up. And what they found is that those that went through the mindfulness or this meditation training is they developed significantly more antibodies to the flu vaccine than those that didn't go through the training. And so I use this as an example, is largely what we talk about when we're talking about changing our mindsets. Is that at the end of the day, we've got to change the wiring of our brain. And one of the best ways that we've seen that happen is through meditation trainings. Uh, and that's supported by studies like this one that I reference.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. I'd like to um, read that study a bit more. See, one thing I think with meditation, people think it's, it is just only meditating and then that's it. But it is like a whole more aura of mindfulness so maybe like the first time you then you know you're in a meeting and you start getting angry or shouting at someone but you're actually you're kind of a bit more mindful of the fact that you're doing it and you're like wait why am i shouting maybe i can sort of stop this a bit earlier and then like afterwards you'll like reflect on it a bit faster and be like yeah that was something i used to do a lot and like i'm not sure that was really helping right then and then like the next meeting you go in you actually respond better and like doing the reps isn't just the meditation 20 minutes it's sort of actually kind of observing yourself in real life as well it's like I found when I did the 10 day thing, I was there like, oh my God, maybe I could stay here for 15 days or something. This is so much fun. I'm having so many deep insights into my life. But actually, you kind of need to get out at that point and actually go into the world and see all these other things rather than just being purely in your own brain for too long.
1: Yeah, I think that that's so key. And I think you really nailed it on the head. I have a colleague that I work with, and he's a great mindfulness researcher. His name is Chris Reyna, he's at Virginia Commonwealth University. And the way that he describes mindfulness is essentially what you said is, it goes from being the actor within a movie, you go from being the actor to viewing yourself as the actor. So viewing yeah. yourself as, as though you were on TV. And until you can get to that place where you can do that, you're really operating fully on autopilot. You're reacting to your situations, but not necessarily thoughtfully responding to those situations. And so mm. creating that space in order for you to do so is, is absolutely essential.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've been working on a bit of a concept that I've found is a common theme in a lot of these sort of books is where it's sort of you're working in versus working on. So it's in like, whether you're, well, like on any of these things, you're kind of just reacting to your things, like the world around you, just in your brain right here. But if you're sort of sitting there like above it, you're kind of working on what should Sam be doing right now, rather than just yeah. like, oh, I need to eat thing. I mean, this is this thing. It's, it's like, actually, no, Sam needs to go in like, he used to go do his work and <laughs> he used to stop eating chocolate bars or whatever and instead sort of yeah you have a much higher position and, and the same with just in general life as in you'd rather be working on a business rather than working in it with like the stuff that's just coming at you and
1: yeah i like that that's great yeah i, I may steal that
0: that's good yeah okay that's <laughs> all right it's uh yeah it made a lot of sense when i thought about it but yeah when, on the meditation and then like the Thing I had a bit of an insight on like day five. I was having a weird conversation with like an ex girlfriend, how you do in your head. Uh-huh. Um, there's this, uh, yeah, we're talking about like. So at this point, I'd like to just stop for a second and explain to you what the word equanimity means because this next uh story will not make sense if you don't know what it means. And basically, it's about kind of being level headed and. Um, not being swept up in your emotions and being like a rock or yeah, as in something that doesn't move around easily and and you're very like centered and in one place. So um, a nice story that will explain it much better than my lack of useful words is um, a story about this Chinese farmer who um, I think one day his horse runs away and the whole village is like, oh no, this is so sad, this is such a terrible thing. And he was like, maybe, maybe it's not, I don't know. Let's not get carried away with our emotions because he's a quantumist. And the whole village is very, very sad for him. And anyway, the next day, the horse comes back, but it also brings three friends of some wild horses that it met. And the whole village is like, wow, this is amazing. We have more horses. You're going to be so happy in life and everything is perfect. You're like the luckiest man alive and then the farmer is like well maybe but maybe not and these farmers all think he's bonkers but he remains equanimous. and the next day his son is out riding one of these new horses trying to like break it in and um the horse bucks and his horse his his son falls off the horse and um he has a very terrible injury and the whole village of course get very swept up in their emotions like oh this is so terrible this is we're so sad for you and, and the farmer still remains a despite the fact his son is like deeply injured and well you know, it's very terrible but like he's like no maybe it's bad maybe it's good i don't know and um the next day it turns out that there's been a war going on the mongols are invading and like the chinese government come to like take men who are young and healthy to join the army and um, they're all probably going to die, but his son remains because he's been injured. And the whole uh, village is obviously sad about their own problems, but they're like, oh, he's very lucky, this guy. And um, anyway, the farmer remains equanimous and wishes that the other people would be more equanimous and less swept up in their emotions. And basically, that was, is what equanimity is, uh, not getting swept up in current events and things and just um, being chilled out about stuff and level-headed. So now this next conversation should make sense. Being equanimous and, um, up until that point, I kind of, whenever I had like these questions about like life or something, I'd be in my head and I'd, I'd, I'd ask like this inner Buddha or something like above me, like, oh, what do I do now? And he like, sometimes he'd come up with some good wisdom and that was great. And it would still be me like in my head. But at that point, I know I told this girl a joke and she's like, Oh, Sam, you're so funny. And I go, Oh, I'm not funny. I'm a or as I like to be known, Samonymous <laughs> and, <laughs> terrible joke. And um, obviously she found it hilarious for some reason. But anyway, at that point, I then stopped thinking of this inner Buddha up there as some other guy, and thought of that as me being Simonimus, <laughs> which is a stupid name. And then <laughs> I kind of embodied this, like me being this guy up there who's really equanimous and then like Sam being that guy down there that I like instruct what to do. Gotcha. And, like I kind of got this, like outer body, sort of working on me doing these things, and um,
1: and an imaginary friend at the same time. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's all a bit stupid, but um. No, it's great helped a lot. Yeah. So that was cool. Anyway. So at this point, yeah, I guess, um, I want to get into the more questions of how to put this into practice. We kind of just spoke about a few things, but then what do you do to coach people when you're actually doing a coaching session on mindsets? What are the questions that you ask them that get them to all close up and go awkward and things? And
1: yeah, I think part of the key is to one of the aspects is to try to get at their fears And you don't just ask them directly about their fears, but what you do is you talk about or ask them questions related to why it is they respond to certain situations in the way that they do. So let me give you one example that came from Ray Dalio's book principles is he talks about a situation where Ray had an employee that didn't put in a purchase. So, So Ray Dalio's operating Bridgewater Associates, it's a hedge fund. An employee didn't put in a purchase on some stocks and because that employee forgot to put in the purchase, the customer missed out on $300,000. Now, so I present leaders with situations like this and I say, how do you respond to this? What are you gonna do? And most leaders say in this situation, well, I need to fire them. Like we we need to send a signal within the organization that this type of behavior is not acceptable. And then I say, well, here's what Ray Dalio said about the situation and what Ray Dalio said essentially, like, I'm not gonna fire you because if I fire you, that incentivizes everybody else to cover up their mistakes. Like, I understand that this was a legitimate mistake. I don't want you to ever do it again, but at the same time, like, I don't want to punish you because I want other people to be open to bring forward the mistakes that they make. Because it's only if we have that type of an atmosphere, the safe environment where that can occur, that we can really excel when it comes to our customer service. Mm. And so anyways, I try to bring up situations like these that unpack generally how they think about things and help them to see that they could see these situations in a different light. And what are the pros and cons of that? So that's one of the things that I do. The other things that I do I actually just revolve around small incremental things that they add in to their day to improve their mindsets, such as one of the, in fact, I got it right here at my desk as I do it every day. Have you ever used the five minute journal? Yeah. So this is just a small task, five minutes a day. We ask, what are you grateful for? What are three things that would happen today that would make today amazing? And Some self affirmations. And then at the end of the day, what were the three amazing things that happened today and what can I learn from this? For me, I used to have a prevention mindset and I didn't ne- I never really realized it until I started using the 5-minute journal. And then it forced me to be much more promotion minded. And so over time as I've done this, uh used the 5-minute journal of just a small task 5 minutes a day, I feel like it's truly rewired my brain to become focused on what making progress towards my goals as opposed to just trying not to fail. And so small little tools or interventions like the Five Minute Journal, even watching positive YouTube videos, you know, anything, the small little interventions sustained over time changes the wiring in our brain. So depending on the mindset that the person is working on, we could kind of come up with a plan of what are some small little interventions that you can engage in on a regular basis that'll get you to change your mindsets over time.
0: Yeah, I found journaling is like a huge way to kind of change your mindset and be more mindful if you just observe yourself every day and then you read back and you kind of, you start seeing the themes of you constantly like talking about the same stuff. You're like, crap, I'm being an idiot. Jesus, (laughs) just you deal with this thing. (laughs) And Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really helpful. And then I did think of a good story that doesn't really come to do with coaching, but it does help... When you're talking about the Ray Dalio thing have you read the Andrew Carnegie's um autobiography he talks I don't, about no I haven't when he was he was given like his first sort of job he was like 19 years old or something and he was doing wage roll for um this train company and he had to take a train to go to this other town and he had like I don't know, two thousand dollars or something in his pocket and like the most money he's ever seen in his life but anyway he was on the train and then he gets to this other town and like he hasn't got the money because it fell out his pocket and he was like holy crap shit! <laughs> he was going to be fired he'd never get like another promotion in his life and like, everything would have been terrible he'd have spent like the next 20 years in his life paying it back he convinces the train manager to like go back along the train and about like 10 miles he just sees the bag on the side like untouched and picks it up and he's like oh my god oh my god <laughs> and like and he realizes that like even though he's smart you can still make massive fuck-ups. And like that could have ruined his life and he would have never gone on to become like Andrew Carnegie and like wow. the richest guy on the planet. But because of that, he realized that actually anyone can make a huge mistake and you shouldn't just judge someone straight away for it because of it's so easy to do something and you should allow people. And he always like was able to do yeah. in that because we had such a big like lesson straight early in life from that. And you're like, yeah, it's a really cool example. because
1: That is a great example. Wow, yeah, great lesson learned there easier said than done, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does take, like, something bigger than that to actually sort of realize it yourself and then be able to do that. But it's, I'm reading his book. It's kind of like a real-life version of, like, how to win friends and influence people. He just learns all these lessons himself, quite luckily, when he was young and was, like, mindful to actually observe them.
1: And yeah. basically,
0: kind of just wrote that book to himself in his head just by, like, watching what was going on in life. And
1: Yeah, interesting. That's great. I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, and then... So I guess we could go a bit more into you and things. So as an author, how did you then, because you've been been coaching people, so you're now writing a book to help people embody these things. So we spoke about how you had the idea and then information. So how do you go about like actually writing it all down and what are your practices around that?
1: Yeah, it's been a fun journey. So as you mentioned, I'm, I'm working on writing a book to get it out there. I've got the first draft done and then we've been through about half of the chapters in terms of revising them. I'm working with a content editor. And so it's very much in the works, but just to kind of give a basic overview of the book is I've got six different sections in the book. The first section is, okay, what are mindsets? Why are they important? Why do we need to be aware of them? And then I introduced the mindset assessment as part of this and there's four different sets of mindsets. So for each of these sets of mindsets, I focus on four chapters, what they are, how do they shape our thinking, learning and behavior. And then a third chapter, how does that shape our success in life work and leadership? And then the fourth chapter is how do we improve with that particular mindset? And then in the the final section of the book is just kind of an overview of why we need to consider all of these mindsets and the effect that doing so will have on you. So the current title of the book, the way it stands now is success mindsets, the key to unlocking greater success in your life, work, and leadership. So, as I mentioned, we're, we're currently shopping it out to agents and then hopefully uh, an agent will pick it up here in the near future and we'll try to get it in the door of a publishing house and go from there. If that doesn't happen, then maybe uh, we'll self-publish and and uh, hit the shelves directly. So I'll keep you in the loop for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's exciting. Um, so how what was your kind of practice when you were writing that? Is that like something you could just do in the afternoons or whilst you're traveling around? What
1: So I decided that this is something that I really needed to do, really valuable for me personally, as well as maybe for my business and my future. And so at the time I was waking up, I don't know, probably 6.30 in the morning and just kind of doing my day, you know, handling email, going, doing some exercise, whatever. But I decided if I was going to have time to write this book, I've got to carve out time somewhere. And so since then, I've been waking up at five o'clock every morning and then I I do my five-minute journal first thing, and so after about you know that and a, just a, a few other things that I usually look through, is about 5:15. I start writing, and then I'll write from 5:15 until 7 o'clock. So I, I try to cat you know not even look at my email or look at my phone during that time. It's just that's my writing time. And so now I guess it's been eight nine months that I've been doing it as I've got – Is I've got I finished the first draft. I would say probably at About four to five months later, and then have been revising it since then.
0: Nice, good. But um, so, have you started going to bed earlier and things, or are you missing out on sleep these days? uh, Because not healthy.
1: But well, I've gone going to bed a little bit earlier, probably about a half an hour earlier than I used to. Uh, One of the things that I found as I've done it is I actually have really enjoyed that time every morning. It's just kind of my me time. So I actually really look forward to it, as weird as that sounds. In fact, I've started on the weekends waking up at that time, just because I really just, it's before the kids are awake. I've got two little kids. Uh, It's before the kids are awake, and I really just don't get that me time otherwise. And because I found it so valuable, I've even been
0: doing it on the weekends. Cool. So how did a setback or a failure set you up for later success?
1: Yeah, great question. So when I, I feel like I've been on the negative side of all four of these sets of mindsets at certain times in my life. And I feel like I'm much more on the positive side. I'm not perfect with all of them. But for me, when I was in high school, I was, I enjoyed playing sports and I was very promotion minded. I had some very clear goals around sports. But then when I went off to college and moved away from home, I very quickly realized that life isn't all that easy and so I developed this prevention mindset where I was just as long as I didn't fail I was succeeding was kind of the way that I looked at it and while I accomplished some pretty cool stuff I think you know I got a a PhD but I think I largely did so with a prevention mindset and then I got a job at Cal State Fullerton where I was a professor for a couple years and then I just kind of had an itch to do something different. And so I did, I stepped away. I took a one year leave of absence where I did some consulting work with Gallup. And that year at Gallup was great. I learned a lot, but I didn't feel like I fit in very well with the culture there. And I I felt a little pigeonholed in my position. And one day I was kind of expressing frustration to my manager and, and she said essentially, well, I don't think we can give you what you want in this position. So we're going to let you go. And I was just like, Oh my goodness. Like I've never been fired from a job before. I just got fired from my job, but in getting fired from my job, I I then had a few months uh, until my semester started back up at Cal state Fullerton. And I had three months to introspect, to do some research, do a wide variety of things. But what I realized during those three months and coming off of getting fired was, that I had had this prevention mindset and that where I was in my life was not where I wanted to be when I was younger. So if I, you would have said when you're 30, I was 33 at the time, I wanted my life to be more than what it was when I was 33. And so it hit me like, well, if it's not what I wanted it, if my life is not what I wanted it to be when I was younger, how do I make that happen? And that combined with my five minute journal, shifted me into the promotion-minded mode. I mean, in reality, if you would have asked me two years ago if I ever would have started up my own business, I would have said, heck no, you crazy? There's way too much risk involved, right? I was trying to play it safe. But since then, as uh, you know, now I've started up a business, something I never thought I would do. And I'm getting on podcasts like this as a way to try to get the message out there. And it's all about what's my destination? How do I get there? And it's been a very different mentality. I think, as, as along with that is, and along with learning about mindsets, it's forced me to become more growth minded, open minded, and outward minded as well. But that's one example of of how I feel like I went through something that really shaped my mindset.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. It's uh, interesting what you said about people on PhDs. Is that, so something I did notice, but I never really thought about until just then. Was like I was quite put off by PhDs from the amount of people that weren't enjoying them that I think only did them because they didn't know what else to do. And they were just in a prevention mindset of like, well, I've been told I can do this PhD, so I'll take it because I'm worried. So they weren't shooting to win. Whereas a few people that like were super excited by what they could do as a PhD, like they went for it because they were shooting to win or they might have gone for something else, like another job offer or something. But instead, there's just so many people with a prevention mindset just doing PhDs they didn't know what else to do. And it was like, yeah, I want to get out from that crowd.
1: Yeah, I feel like I went to get a PhD because I saw the academic life as being having you get paid a decent amount. It seems like enjoyable work. You have great work-life balance. You know, all of the things that, you know, would keep me safe without Mm. having to take much risk was kind of the way that I looked at it. Yeah, it's funny.
0: Okay. So on that note, what is the biggest risk that you have taken? Which is the next question in the mindset I would say
1: one of the first things that I did when I started up my business is I hired a branding and marketing expert to build up a website and, and do a, a, you know a variety of things with regards to social media and, and things like that. Some of that which I was not familiar with at all. And the person that I hired came at a pretty high price point. I mean, I would say that my whole life I've been quite frugal. I, mean, I got that from my dad. We joke in our family that Our dad is the most frugal person that we've ever met. And so me spending money is not something that I like to do. But I, with my new mindset, I just said, hey, if I want to get out there and if I want to be successful, I need to, you know, pay top dollar and get the top people in order to help me out to do this. And so to me at the time is I I didn't have much of a budget to do that, but I said, I've got to do it because that's the only way I'm going to be successful. And I would say I've had mixed results looking back on that. There were some things that went really well with that. There were things that didn't. But at the end of the day, what I feel like is I learned a lot in the process. And one of those is I broke down the barrier around kind of trying to spend the least amount to get the biggest bang. Now I understand I've got to see this as an investment and that change in my mindset in that regard has really shaped how I have been able to grow my business as much as I had in the last year or so.
0: Yeah. it's interesting. It's can to be a whole, yeah, it does kind of link into prevention and promotion mindsets as of the way you spend your money, I guess, but it, the whole attitude to money is kind of like a, another thing that you could sort of completely not think about in the set of mindsets, but it, yeah, it is a big difference. And I was, I think I would really relate to that story of, I was very much in sort of saving as much as possible. How can I do everything versus like actually, how can I kind of spend my money to actually make the most effect happen and kind of free up my time and do more kind of thing?
1: Yeah. To me, I haven't focused on it in anything we've talked about today or in the book that I'm writing because it hasn't been widely studied, but it's been talked about a lot. And the difference is between deficit and abundance mindsets. Yeah. And to me, that's where I've been financially is I've been in this deficit mindset and I've, where I've seen money as a fixed pie. So if I want to build my wealth, I've got to spend less of that pie. But if we could view money with an abundance mindset as though it's a pie that can expand, now we're going to operate very differently. Instead of trying to cut costs, we're going to focus on how do we build the size of our pie. I think, in fact, the best book that I've read on this topic is by Jen Sincero. And the, the book is You Are a Badass at Making Money. And it's a fantastic book about uh, this abundance mindset. So if people have mental blocks with money, uh, that's surely uh, a book that I think uh, people can turn to with some great advice, as well as uh, her snarky personality. It makes it quite fun.
0: Cool, yeah. It sounds really interesting for people like us who are afraid of spending money. I'm a bit worried about giving that to someone who sort of has a problem with spending too much. If They are like, cool, I'll spend more to make more money. It might be better risky but um interesting i'll definitely try and give that a read yeah um then what is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you
1: oh i'm going to connect this back to our mindsets and i feel like it's the primary reason why i've been able to have a growth mindset for much of my life is the kindest thing that anybody's ever done for me was my mother in the sense that it wasn't any one thing but she always saw the best in me she always saw me for my potential and not necessarily for who I was in that moment, because I wasn't always the best kid. You know, I'd push my, my mom's buttons every once in a while, but regardless, she always saw me for who I could be. And that gave me the freedom to explore growth and opportunity within myself. And so I think that that's now as a parent, that's something that I, I am trying to do with my children is, is trying to see the best in my kids and, and see them for who they can be, as opposed to necessarily who they are, which sometimes
0: they're terrorists. Cool, and on the subject of uh, kids, what's your most vivid memory from childhood?
1: Huh. Man, there's just a lot, and I don't know, I'm trying to think of one that's maybe more formative. Yeah, I guess part of it is maybe my my father. So my mom was very engaged in my life, My father was an engineer, an extreme introvert, very quiet guy, was an observer, but one of the just nicest people that you could meet. But in terms of his parenting style, he wasn't, I would not, I mean, he just wasn't a hands-on parent. Uh, He was always at all of my sporting events. So I always knew that he loved me, but he wasn't very hands-on. So maybe some of the memories that come to mind involve like him chasing after me is one of them or wrestling around on the floor when I was really little so those are those are a couple of memories that
0: I think are stick with me okay let's keep cool uh one thing I actually want to ask but I sort of forgot was um what's I like to ask about the future and because I mean quite often I'm talking to like tech people and it's kind of interesting to see what think about tech but actually you were talking about like they're going to be like maybe like a shift in the way people think about like mindfulness and mindsets and things and what do you think is going to world would be like in five years time do you think there'll be a much wider kind of acknowledgement about this in like the workplace and it'll just be
1: for sure and we're seeing in the last five years the number of published studies on mindfulness has just skyrocketed i mean mindfulness has been studied for 40 years but primarily focused on helping people cope with stress and now we're seeing a bunch of research showing that mindfulness and meditation have a variety of effects much that go way beyond stress, uh, such as creativity, decision-making, ability to, to soak in feedback, your performance, your intrinsic motivation. I mean, there's just probably a hundred things that we could list and all of the research is very compelling. So I think that that is surely going to start, is going to help fuel this mindfulness movement. One of the things that I see, at least here in the United States, I'm guessing you may see it as well in the UK, but there's increasing polarization on almost anything that we could talk about, and we'll just maybe just to make it simple, talk about politics, is there's increasing polarization where, and this is largely because of mindlessness, that people, they adhere to one political perspective, largely because that's how they were raised and they're not willing to be open to the ideas of somebody from the other perspective. But as this polarization has occurred, I think one of the things that this has done is it's allowed for mindfulness pop up back in the middle, that there's a growing body of people who maybe don't necessarily affiliate with one political party or the other, but they just see things as there's value in both perspectives. And how do we understand this value? Can we sit with these differences and be okay with that? Can we be okay with uncertainty? And we're finding that the people who are really successful are the ones that embody those types of ideas. They could... Sit with multiple perspectives. They could see the perspective of others. They see others as people as opposed to objects, regardless of what their political stance might be. So I think that we're probably going to see an increased amount of mindlessness, particularly when we have a cell phone in our pocket. And anytime we have any free minute, it's our habit to pull our, our phone out of our pocket as opposed to just sit there and observe. So I think we're going to see increased polarization even with regards to the spectrum of mindlessness to mindfulness is we're going to see people growing increasingly mindless and we're also going to Mm. see a body of people that are able to rise above that and these are going to be this mindful people and they're going to become a larger and larger percentage within our population and they're going to be the people that drive our future moving forward
0: yeah yeah it's the concepts and that he talks about in deep work isn't it where he sort of says like those who are able to do deep work and think about like what it is they're doing and like get away from just sort of working in things and just being distracted by their phone are the ones that are going to be able to create value. And it's that value that actually is becoming more and more valuable, but it's also harder and harder to do. And if you can get more into these mindsets, then you can do these things. So, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Is there anything else that I should know about you or should have asked about mindsets or just about your life? And I know you survived a shark attack or something that I will be pretty annoyed about to find out if you haven't told me.
1: No, I wish I was that interesting. Uh, I'm, no, I think this is great. And I think, I mean, hopefully one of the things that listeners, but even you take away from this is just a better way to evaluate yourself at a much deeper level. Like where do you spend on each of these different mindsets and where, how can you improve by focusing on certain mindsets where you may not be doing as well? And as I look back on my life again, I said, I've been on the negative mindset for each of these sets that we've talked about. And as I've shifted to become more positive, my life has only gotten better. And I feel like I am a much better person. I'm a much more capable leader. I'm a better, spouse, I'm a better father. And so to me, even as just to kind of summarize these four sets is, I don't know about you, but when I say the words fix, close, prevention, and inward, mm-hmm. the feeling that I get is like a raisin, like, like yeah. being shriveled up. But when I say growth, open, promotion, and outward, now I feel like a flower that's blossoming. And this is the difference that we have in the world. If we have negative mindsets, we're like a raisin to those around us. If we have these positive mindsets, we're much more like this flower that's blossoming. And that's the effect that we have on the world. And so we need to become conscious of this for ourselves because I think in over everything that we've said, well, one of the things that I I commonly say is we tend to think that our thinking is the best way to think, Mm. but that's really problematic because what I found through my assessment, 95% of people don't consistently have the positive mindsets. It's very easy for us to justify our negative mindsets. And so if we've got to be able to, one, as we talked about, become conscious of these things, because by becoming conscious, we could rise above them. You know, I, Being in a prevention mindset for so long, I could justify that. Oh, I don't want to start up a business. That's risky. I'm going to end up down the tube or something like that. Well, that's, you know, while that was easy to justify, it was also what was preventing me from achieving the success that I wanted to in life. And so we've got to be open to the idea that our thinking is not the best way to think. And hopefully this framework that we've talked about helps people to see how they can improve their thinking.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I think I found the um, studies on like split brain patients really helpful as in when you're talking about people, they'd be asked to do something with their one half of their brain and they'd start doing it and then they asked the other, brain, other of brain why they were doing it. And they just make up these weird stories as to why they're walking to the fridge. They're like, oh, I'm getting a Coke. And like they had no idea why they're walking, but they'd instantly come up with a story to make themselves sound like logical. Yeah. And like, Your brain is literally wired to just come up with stories to make you sound like a, we- a clever actor. When actually you have no idea why you're doing like some bonkers things. And yeah, it's a nice way to kind of actually like, oh crap, my brain just does stuff without me knowing really why. And I'm just sort of lying to myself the whole time. And I think, oh yeah, I'm clever. So I'm doing this thing. And I'm actually just an idiot. And you can embody that. You can kind of start working on these things and realize that you're actually much way further down the scale than you thought you were. But then actually it means you're still in the same place. You just acknowledge where you are and the scale is suddenly much bigger as to how, well, how much more you can improve kind of thing. And so yeah. you, you don't need to think of it negatively. You kind of just think of it realistically and life is great.
1: Yeah, and that, but that's the challenge is thinking of things realistically yeah, yeah. because okay. our brain isn't necessarily programmed to do that. But uh, yeah, great thoughts.
0: And lots of people can you know, agree with me and be wrong and I can agree with myself and I'm probably wrong about half of it as well. It's a it's a funny one to work through. Okay, and then finally, 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 is there anything you want to ask me that you haven't asked?
1: I would say the, I guess I see it as partly my mission is to help expand the people's understanding of, of mindsets. So what do you feel like for you? Is that an important part of your mission and whether or not it is to the degree that it is, how do you intend on improving how you kind of spread the mindfulness word?
0: Mm, Okay. So Yes and that is something I really did want to find out was like how mindset. so is what I've initially been doing was talking to just crazy interesting people and trying to work out what their mindsets were and trying to prove to people that anyone can kind of do amazing things and that you can have a growth mindset like these people all have these backgrounds where they came from nothing or whatever and actually were able to go and do something awesome and say so like hey why can't you and trying to find like just proof for people that you they can adopt these mindsets and you're not like ingrained with where you are it's something that I've just been trying to do throughout the podcast as well as just find interesting people and find out how they're doing things and now like with this whole like specific mindfulness project where I'm talking to you and like other authors I really want to one just build like a great sort of 10-part series it's almost like getting a book for free of just like the best content that there is on mindsets and the best concepts so people can really get like a good overview and like become educated on it. And also to educate myself and be actually, so when I am in like a conversation with someone, I can literally kind of recall straight away, like the best thing that I could say to them to like, get them to do the better thing. Cause of it, it is kind of hard to come up with something that's sort of always relatable to the right person at the right time. But the more you practice and talk about it, the better you are. So talking to someone like you who coaches people, I can find out like, okay, how do you change people's mind? And and I can get better at changing people's minds myself, which is, I think, um, really nice as an opportunity for me to actually just be able to ask people that are doing it and learn from them.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. And I, you know, one of the things that you're saying that I love is, you know, I guess the way that I define leadership, because I, I come from this from the leadership lens is leadership is the use of power and influence to direct others to goal achievement. And really everything that you're talking about is this idea of having influence to be able to direct others. And as we, I think everybody knows is there's more positive forms of influence. There's more negative forms of influence where the negative forms of influence are founded upon kind of the position which we hold and our ability to reward and punish. But really the true and most effective forms of power and influence revolve around the type of person that we are. Are we somebody that other people want to follow? And when we become that person, then we can give them suggestions and they'll listen, mm. right? And that's, you know, so what I hear you saying is, you know, you want to be a, a leader. You want to be a positive influence on the people that you interact with, whether personally or through the podcast or, you know, other mediums, you know, and that's inspirational because when you look at any of the great leaders throughout history, to me the one thing that they all have in common is that their primary purpose was to have a positive contribution on society and on people and so i think if there's people like you who have that vision as well then you know i think we're standing in some pretty good uh, territory
0: oh thanks a lot man. that's really nice because uh, i think in the same way that when i was younger i started a business i was always really like, anti-sales because i didn't like the concept of sales like a salesman sort of is like a horrible person that makes you buy things but then I found out that I loved making sales because of actually I was solving people's problems and I was helping them like achieve something that they wanted to do. And when you do sales with the right mindset, it's actually a really nice thing. And in the same way, like leadership, I kind of felt a bit like, you know, it's a bit dictatory. I don't really want to be like telling people what to do with their lives, but actually if I can help people and empower them and like people like listen to me because I'm helping them then yeah, I do want to lead and I do want to like change the world in that sense. So yeah, that was quite a nice way of putting it. Thanks maybe I hadn't really thought of it
1: no you keep up the good work and I'm uh you know glad to be on uh, your show and help you do that so yeah.
0: thanks so much it's a pleasure to have you and um yeah looking forward to hearing how the book goes and uh anything else and if you can find some more ways to do research and things that would be super fascinating and any um research that you get from all your uh, online tests and what people are doing there and so guessing as over time you know after the, over the next five years you can kind of observe a bit more of like who are the people who have taken these mindset tests and how have they changed and what are they going to do? That'd be really fascinating. Yeah. Cool. I'll be watching. Awesome. That'd be great. So what an amazing set of just insights from Ryan there. I really can't say how much fun I had during this conversation. Just, it was such a pleasure learning so much and to dive headfirst into mindsets and all the different things that we tell ourselves and human behavior is just quite fascinating. So, um, I, Have quite a few top tips, Uh, and I'll try not to spend like another podcast worth of just talking about it. Um, But basically, I I really like the conversation around like mindless or mindfulness, and um, Ryan's point about there being like a growing divide between those of us that become owned by our devices rather than them being a tool for our bidding is uh, quite relevant. And I've recently spoken about this a lot on the podcast, so go back and revisit some of my lectures on technology if you want to hear more about that. Um, We lightly touched on money and scarcity versus abundance mindset. And I think there's like a whole topic here that I should probably explore further of whether you're like a slave to money versus being a master of it, which is just really important in life. Um, So, yeah, I'll visit that in the future for sure. And there seems to be a bit of a theme developing on the podcast from the people I interview where these like interesting people just sort of seem to take control of their life and write a book by getting up super early. And um, yeah, you can really get a lot of deep work done by waking up at 5 a.m. So uh, I need to start doing that already. And maybe you do too. And of course, well, the biggest take home for this episode is just um, remembering that humans are totally reliant on default behaviors and that there are four key mindsets that contribute to success and that we can learn to control them. And obviously, on the Growth Mindset podcast, I may have focused on growth mindset quite a lot. Um, but actually, there is the closed and open mindsets, which are not the same thing. And you do need to be uh, wary of those. There's prevention and promotion mindset. Are you shooting to win? Are you shooting to not lose? And there's also the inward versus outward mindset, which was something that was kind of new to me. I kind of understood it like quite instantly, but like I hadn't ever like conceptually been like classed it as a mindset, if you know what I mean. So I really like that. Um, with Ryan and on that note just to reflect on some of my own inward versus outward behaviors even during the episode um, Ryan near the end kindly said how great the work is that I'm doing to educate people and become a leader to help help people have like better mindsets and and being a normal human I was uh, inwardly minded and had the standard behavior of just feeling good about myself and I agreed with his comments and thought that was lovely and for some odd reason I didn't really. Uh, think in my own egocentric brain about the fact that I should be thanking Ryan for um, all of his leading work on mindsets and uh, he was also the one that kind of had all the ideas on the podcast and like the interview was about him and yet I was there like feeling like I was the hero of the interview with all these questions that were like fascinating and quickly um, yeah I'm deluding myself into thinking how great I am when he was obviously fantastic and I was sort of just along for the ride Um, So yes. I need to change my own inward mindsets to be more outward and think about other people more. Um, Because yeah, being a human is hard and you can kind of quickly delude yourselves. Um, And with the power of mindsets that we have learned, we should be able to solve our innate tendencies to just be idiots. So if you want to find out your own mindsets, um, then go to Ryan's website, which you can find in the show notes, or it's at ryangotfridson.com, which is hard to spell. It's a okay, whatever. Um, just go to the show notes. It's, it'll be on the link. Um, and to find out, yeah, what you need to work on on your mindsets and where you actually are classed. Because remember that no one with a closed no one with a closed mindset thinks they have a closed mindset. And um, hopefully you will be open minded enough to realise how unopen minded you are. And yeah, it's certainly a bit of a tragic irony with the open-mindedness that it's very easy to trick yourself with all the mindsets. Actually, um, yes. So if you think that you are open-minded, you're probably shutting yourself shutting yourself off to how open-minded you could be. And um, actually, in a few weeks' time, we have Oren Claff, the legendary sales guru, on the podcast, who actually wears his closed-mindedness with pride. He um, he even told me to go screw myself, but with more rude words. Um, after I suggested that he could be more open to feedback because he uh, speaks about not taking people's feedback um, as a good thing. Anyway, um, before that, next week, we have a deeper dive into the inward and outward mindset, which I was so new to, because I have the Arbinger Institute on the podcast, which is the people that Ryan was speaking about as the leaders in the field. So, yep, I followed my curiosity and went straight to them. And yeah, we have Heather Adams, one of the directors of the Arbinger Institute, uh, giving a really fascinating, much deeper insight into the inward versus outward mindsets and how that can help you, your relationships and your business. And um, it's going to be a good episode. Well, it is a good episode. I just haven't released it yet. So you can look forward to that. And now finally, just on to books. Um, Obviously, there is Ryan's book which uh, he has now secured a publisher, I'm very pleased to say. So it will be coming out February 2020. It's called Success Mindsets and I've helped him do some of the editing on it. Uh, I was very honored to be taking part and that that was a lot of fun. So it's actually a really good book, I can say, because I've been reading it. And um, you can pre-order it now at his website. Again, that's in the show notes. We also spoke about a few other books, Jim Afromo, The Champion's Mind. Uh, you Are a Badass at Making Money by Jen Um, I should have made notes on that. Anyway, uh, The Art of Possibility by Benjamin Zander. Daring Greatly by Benny Brown. Good to Great by Jim Collins. And, of course, The Five Minute Journal, which is a great way to start reflecting on your own behaviours and mindsets and a really, really tool, really, really good tool, sorry, for life. And that is now the end of the episode. And remember to tune in next week. Thanks a lot for listening. Also, I have a Patreon. If you feel like supporting the podcast, that would be nice. Um, If you don't, don't worry about it. Okay, bye. You've just listened to an episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, Please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating as these go a really long way. If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will, or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to chat, then please reach out to me on Twitter at Sam or Instagram at samjamsnaps. Show notes and other links to topics discussed in the episodes are available at the website growthmindsetpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Give yourself a big hug from me. If you're with a friend, give them a hug as well. And I hope you enjoy your next podcast.